Girlfriends, episode number 63, All In For Jesus with Pat Gohn. Hello and welcome to Girlfriends. I'm Danielle Bean. I'm a wife and a mom and I'm on a mission to help you know your worth as a woman so you can find peace, balance, and joy in family living. This week, we're talking about snowstorms, power outages, birthday celebrations, NFP feedback, and Pat Gone is here to talk about being all in for Jesus. We've got a lot to do, a lot to talk about, and the show starts now. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Girlfriends. I'm glad that you're here. Glad you've shown up again for another episode of Girlfriends. I hope you've had a good week. It feels like it's been like three years. <laughs> three years have passed since I last was talking to you since a week ago. Um, it's just been a little bit of a challenging week, a little bit of a tough week, and I'm feeling a little ragged, a little rough around the edges. Um, I'm recording this on Monday morning, early in the morning. I'm skipping my morning workout to get this in. So I hope you guys know how much I love you and appreciate you because I'm going to be feeling that all day. Do you know if you're in a routine with workouts and, you know, I've been in times of my life where I am in a good routine with workouts and then I've been in times of my life where I'm not and I wouldn't miss a missed workout at all. But when you're in a good routine, when you're in a groove, you really do like, I just feel off if I don't get that in first thing in the morning. But I'm doing that and I'm offering it up for you because I want to get this show recorded this morning before the whole workday starts and everything kicks in. Anyway, it's like I said, it was a little bit of a challenging week with a snowstorm. I don't know what area of the country you live in, but if you live in the South, my son who's at school in Florida, I talked to him on the phone yesterday, told me pretty much nobody down there even knew there was a snowstorm up here in the Northeast. Uh, well, there was. <laughs> and it almost killed us all. Uh, it was a pretty bad one, pretty big storm, a blizzard. And I, you know, I told you uh, last week's show that I was going to be um, traveling for work. I was going to be in Montreal. So I kind of thought when I left, I was like, you know what, the news always exaggerates these things for dramatic effect, I think. You know, it kind of annoys me and I roll my eyes about it like the epic winter storm and, you know, they've got all their dramatic graphics and everything. Um, and everybody runs out to the store and like wipes out the shelves from milk and bread and alcohol in preparation for the storm. So I really, I was pretty casual about this. And I guess I have been in recent snowstorms. You know, we have basic groceries in the house, you know, just making sure that there was food in the house before I left. And I really thought that the storm would come and go and we'd be all set by the time I came back. And I wasn't even sure that the storm was going to make it up north where I was. I wasn't sure we'd experience it where I was, but um, we did. And uh, it was a huge storm. Uh, We lost power here. And You know, so Dan and the kids were home. The kids didn't have school and Dan didn't have work. Everything got canceled for that first big day of the storm where it just stormed all day. And um, that was a day that I was in Montreal and I was in meetings all day. And that evening, it was really storming hard in Montreal where I was. And through a series of unfortunate events, I wound up walking in that storm to get back to my hotel after dinner. And it was a... (laughs) more than unpleasant experience. It was scary. I have never been in a storm like that, Uh, like in it, in it, you know, dressed in my work clothes and, you know, pretty boots, not practical boots. And um, honestly, I I was uh, 
nervous about the whole thing. I didn't feel like it was safe, and um, but there was no other way. There were no taxis running. Really, I just would have been abandoned and stranded. And anyway, thank goodness my coworker, um, a, a nice gentleman that I've worked with for a number of years, made sure that we got back together safely, didn't abandon me, and all was well. But uh, that experience, like, you know what? I've never been in a storm like that. I have grown up in New Hampshire. I was around for the blizzard of 78 and, you know, all these major storms. And I've just never been, like, kind of stuck in a storm like that. And um, I don't I don't want to do that again. I was completely coated with ice by the time we got back to the hotel. And there were a few different times I stopped walking and just was like, this isn't safe. I can't do this. I can't have this wind blowing in my face this way. That's what it was. It really was the wind. Did you know that a blizzard isn't um, about snow amounts uh, so much as it is about wind speeds and how it's not about like a certain number of inches of snow that makes something qualify as a blizzard. It's the wind speeds and also the amount of time that there's whiteout conditions. So if like whiteout conditions for like three hours, I think qualifies as a blizzard with, you know, also certain uh, wind speed. Anyway, <laughs> all of that I was not interested in as I was walking home. And um, anyway, the next day all went well. My travel actually, my, my flight got canceled for going home predictably. And, uh, but somehow magically, I think it was my guardian angel, like there was this, this mysterious flight that was going home earlier than my original flight. And, you know, they managed to put me on it and I got home earlier than I actually thought I would. So all ended well, except when I got home, we were on, you know, day two and a half of no power at our house. And, um, we're pretty well prepared for no power. I, um, Dan is a Yankee kind of man and he built this house so that we wouldn't be <laughs> reliant upon electricity. <laughs> it was really important to him actually. So we have a wood stove for heat. Um, it doesn't heat the whole house super well, um, but it heats the living room and the upstairs bedrooms really well when that's all the heat that we have. Um, we really feel it in the other areas of the house. They get really cold, especially during this blizzard where it was like single de- degree temperatures and really strong winds. Um, so, you know, we, we have basic heat and um, we can cook on our, our stovetop on our range because it's gas. So we just need to use a lighter to, to light the burners and we can cook on that. Um, the, the main problem is water because we have an artesian well and an electric pump for that. And so you don't have water, can't flush the toilets, you know, can't wash anything when the power is out. So when you've been doing that for a few days, it gets a little gross. Um, and it was gross here. So what we were doing um, is we were melting snow on the wood stove and using that to be able to flush toilets. And, you know, you just, <laughs> so it's pretty gross. And it was pretty much a nonstop job because if you haven't done this before, you probably wouldn't know. But a big amount of snow, and it depends on the quality of the snow, but a big amount of snow, like a giant, big, you know, giant stew pot, whatever, of snow, when you melt it down, it's not very much water. <laughs> so we were like filling pots, melting it down, filling it again, melting it down, filling it again, just to get a little bit of gross, dirty water from outside to be able to flush the toilets with. Um, we do, when we built the house, Dan um, installed a hand pump down in the crawl space where, it, you know, you can hand pump water, but that's not super convenient to be doing. That's really just for absolute emergencies. So that's how we were surviving. And, 
we were fine. I mean, you know, nobody was going to going to die. We weren't in peril. There were people in nearby towns who didn't have heat. Um, so they were setting up shelters in a local high school for people who didn't have heat, didn't have a way to cook food, um, were, you know, in, in a tough situation. And even now, a week later, there are still people in area towns who don't have power. So we were very lucky. Um, it just went like a little over three days, three and a half days for us before we got power back. And that last day, Dan said to me that he had booked a room at a nearby resort so we could all go and take showers and wash some clothes and be in a nice warm place and not be feeling like you're in survival mode. And that was lovely. So that last evening, we didn't even suffer. So in the end, it was it was fine. We were fine, but that was a tough thing. And then coming back to the house when we did have power and just uh it was so it was everything was a mess and I had to clean out, gut out the refrigerator, had to um do a ton, a ton, a ton of laundry and just nonstop around the dishwasher, you know, all that stuff that kind of built up over those days where we were in survival mode. Not so fun. So this, you know, this storm really did wallop us it did and i don't like feeling that way because normally you know we can we can handle a storm and i don't think it's a big deal but i really did feel like oh my gosh this was a real thing and people like i said in area towns you know pray for the people up here in the northeast who are still without power you know just this morning when i was um driving kids to school i saw and i've been seeing this every single morning just a line like a battalion of electric company trucks, you know, the the cherry picker trucks, um, the electric co-op trucks, just in a line heading in that direction. They're like getting to work every day and they're still not done. And um, we've called in help from other states and we've called in help from Canada. Uh, hopefully these people are going to get back there into their homes soon in a safe way. Um, just crazy, crazy storm. So I guess ultimately um, when they were looking back on it uh, nearby, Apparently, there was something called a microburst, which is some form of a tornado that can happen inside of a blizzard. I am no meteorologist, but whatever. I just know that was a major thing. And seeing so many trees down on power lines and trees uprooted and like thrown on people's houses. I mean, it's no joke the damage that was done here. So anyway, we were in the end very fortunate to only suffer the effects that we did. And I'm thrilled to be back online and having power and heat and easy ways to wash and all of that. One good thing that has come from all of this is a greater sense of gratitude about the things that we usually take for granted every day, the kinds of blessings and benefits that we enjoy just living a modern life and um, don't take them for granted. It's important to be grateful for what we have. Okay, so this week I talked with Pat Gone, who is awesome, and I know you know her from her Among Women podcast. I'm not going to introduce her here because I introduced her in the little segment, so I hope you enjoy this awesome, fun, enlightening, inspiring conversation I had with the awesome Pat Gone. Hello, everyone. I am so excited today to be welcoming a special guest here on Girlfriends. My girlfriend, Pat Gone, is here. Pat Gone is a Catholic writer, retreat leader, conference speaker, catechist, and author of the award-winning book, 
Blessed, Beautiful, and Bodacious. Love that title. She is the host of Among Women podcast and editor of Catechist Magazine, and she lives in North Andover, Massachusetts. She's here today to talk about her newest book, which is called All In from Ave Maria Press, Why Belonging to the Catholic Church Matters. Welcome, Pat. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, I'm thrilled. And um, just so everyone knows, Pat and I go way back as friends and as colleagues. And just recently in the past year, we've officially become colleagues working for a company called Bayard with the magazines that I publish. Uh, Pat works on Catechist Magazine. And when she said yes to that job, I did a little happy dance because, (laughs) first of all, it means I get to work with my good friend, Pat, but she is super, super woman and super editor and she's really bringing all those talents to catechist so thank you pat thank you for being here but also thank you for all the work you do oh you know danielle being a catechist is a privilege and those people who might be listening who might be catechists in their parish um you know they know what it means when you you know when you have a win in the in the classroom or in your small group or when somebody has kind of an aha moment about god Mm -hmm. or the faith and um so so that's part of the beauty of being a catechist. So I just think it's a it's a great honor to to want to encourage uh, catechists to 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 do their work better and to do it for the love of God and for the love of the church. It's a great opportunity, and uh, I'm happy to do it. I really yeah. am. Well, we're we're blessed to have you. But speaking of those aha God moments, that's what this book is all about, really. This all-in book that you, is just coming out. It's brand new. I was thrilled to have an advanced copy. I got so excited when I opened it up and I read it on a plane, just like start <laughs> to finish. It was super. And um, so, Pat, maybe just share with us a little bit about what... What prompted you to write this book? I mean, first you wrote Blessed, Beautiful, and Bodacious, which if people haven't checked that out, do check it out. We'll have the link in the show notes at daniellebean.com. But um, what what prompted you to write this particular book about why it matters belonging to the Catholic Church? You know, what's interesting for me about this book is that I get to tell a lot of my own story. Uh, And it's sometimes hard to talk about your own story. I, I learned as I wrote this book that I'm more shy about talking about myself than <laughs> you would think, you know, in terms of, you know, real life, you know, telling your own stories. But it, it is a kind of a, a, a book that I think was probably, you know, maybe 25 years in the making. I, I talk about my own faith in, in Jesus Christ and how I came to know Jesus and what the beauty of Catholicism is in my own life and how that has been, you know, the anchor of my life and the center of my life around which everything revolves around. Mm -hmm. It gives meaning and fullness to my life. But then I had a series of disappointments with the church. And it Part of it was, you know, I live in the Archdiocese of Boston, and I was working um, on a parish uh, ministry team uh, when the clergy sex abuse scandals broke out yeah. in uh, in the Archdiocese of Boston. It was a very difficult time, very tumultuous time, very stressful time. And, you know, a lot of good folks, a lot of good Catholic folks I know were really um, distressed and devastated in the aftermath of this. Sure. A lot of people have left the church. A lot of people um, are still experiencing the aftershocks of of some of the 
the stuff that happens, you know, in the years that follow in the church. So this book is really offering my reasons for why I stayed and how I've come to love the church, warts and all, so to speak, even more. And uh, yeah, we all do know some of those warts, but um, working in the Archdiocese of Boston during the time of that scandal breaking, really, um, really just kind of being at the vortex of a really horrible situation. Um, I know, I remember you were like a mentor to me during some of that time, Pat, um, sharing some of my own experiences and my own struggles. And it really was a common story, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Um, What you learn when you go through something like this is that there have been struggles with people's opinions of the church, you know, throughout history. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the you know, the the church is both human and divine. But let me tell you, the the human side of the church can really mess up and mess up badly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, we cannot excuse sin. We cannot cover up corruption. We can't, you know, so I'm not giving anybody a pass here um, in terms of some of the bad things that have happened e- either in the recent history of the church or in the past history of the church. But it's an opportunity to kind of shine a light on the fact that the church is bigger than all of that because she's the bride of Christ. Because, uh, you know, Jesus is wedded to this to this bride and there's never going to be a divorce. And you have <laughs> to kind of see this bigger picture that, and this is something that Vatican II taught like 50 years ago, that the church is, um, the church is holy, but it is also always in need of renewal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's something that we have to really study and understand about the church itself. Right. And I think that, you know, for sure, our dealing with the, the scandal and the aftermath of it, I think a lot of us have grown to a greater understanding of, of the church in that way that you describe. But there are people who still struggle and there are outsiders who still get it wrong. I mean, what what is your response um, to, or what is your, your feeling about the way in which the, the church is portrayed in the media? Wow, you know, that's a, that's a multifaceted question. Sure. Um, and I would just say that um, I would like to talk just to the person who's disenchanted with the church themselves. Um, you know, sometimes the media is going to get it wrong in terms of how it looks at the church. The media often looks at the church as this huge institution. Mm-hmm. And um, we can decide uh, in our culture, you know, should institutions, you know, keep going or should they be, you know, defunct and, you know, eliminated. Right. Um, the church is more than an institution. And I think that's part of um, the work of this book is I'm trying to give a little bit of an introduction to what we call the ecclesiology of the church or the study of the church, that the church is more than an institution. It, it's so much more. But mm-hmm. the, the, the purpose of the book is really to talk to that person who might be a little bit uh, disenchanted with the church and to and explore different reasons to stay, exploring places of uh, confidence, where we can put you know, why we can still put our confidence in the church. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to make the case for that. And you know what? I think sometimes evangelization happens person to person. Mm -hmm. I don't expect the media to take care of our evangelization needs in terms of how it portrays the church. I believe in the goodness of um, Catholic media that's trying to get the the message out Mm -hmm. of and, you know, an accurate portrayal of the church. But in terms of commercial media, secular media, it's not their job um, 
to do our work and our work is to evangelize one to another. So I see this book as a, a way of evangelizing and let me just use a more common phrase the way of having a conversation person to person about, gee, what, what hurts us and what don't we understand and, and how can we go deeper and, and try to understand it better? Right. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about that person to person because in the end, it all is very personal. I mean, you know, you can talk about giant institutions, you can talk about the, you know, the sex abuse scandals in some broad general way, but then there's, there are many people and I know no one left many of them personally who struggle with the Catholic church because of something deeply personal where maybe they've suffered a loss of some kind and they can't reconcile it with a God who loves them. Or maybe they've been hurt inside of the church, you know, had a, a negative experience with a priest or, or um, you know, were rejected by the institution in some way, because like you said, it's a human institution and it's got all these flaws and warts in it. There are ways in which it's going to fail people on an individual basis. But how can we go about, I mean, I like that you're talking about this, this conversation, this happening person to person. Are you hoping that your book will kind of inspire people to be that kind of person to person evangelist in their own lives? Well, certainly. Um... I would hope that that might be a happy outcome of somebody reading the book. But really, I want people just to confront um, where they are with the church themselves mm -hmm. before they really even go to defending the church, if you will, in a conversation or in a, in the public square uh, to really um, deal with. Um, am I all in? Am I all in with God? Am I uh, like this title? All in is is kind of this really uh, almost intimidating kind of title. Yeah, all he wants <laughs> is everything. <laughs> because to be to be perfectly honest, I mean, you know, the title is kind of ambitious and might be a little intimidating for some Catholics because I really wrote it for Catholics who maybe don't feel all in mm -hmm. or maybe kind of sort of kind of maybe I'm in and a little in or a little bit out. Or I, maybe I'm kind of wobbly in my relationship with the church. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it's kind of uh, helping people uh, take their own pulse, their own temperature in terms of that relationship. And, you know, what you were saying before, Danielle, was, was I think a, is a key insight that, that all of us have got to um, look back in our own lives and see, is there a point um, where the breach happened? Is there a point? Uh, where some of my separation from the church may have happened because of some type of encounter, you know, with, with a priest or with another person or somebody said something negative to me or I just couldn't buy this or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, when I talk one-to-one -one with people um, and, you know, when they are really ready to, to share about it, one of the biggest questions I ask them personally is, well, who hurt you? Mm -hmm. or or what what happened? You know, and and try to and try to see. Um, right. like what the source of the pain is, you know, because it might come from more of a personal relationship with somebody within the church than with actually, you know, what the church is, um, you know, as, as the church, the Catholic church, mm -hmm. you know, so I, you know, you have to kind of almost deal with it on, on a, on a personal context, you know, person to person. But I do, I do get this idea that, um, I'm sharing this my story about what it means to be all in. And you know what? I have to take 
you know, the, the good with the bad. But you know what? Jesus did that, too, first ahead of me, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. ahead of all of us who are trying to live um, this faith. And and the goal, the goal here is to help people be more confident as Catholics. If I could have given a title to this book, uh, you probably know the, the process of, a you know, the title for books often come from your publisher. Yeah. This is my publisher's title. But the, the my working title, you know, when I submitted the, the manuscript was Confidently Catholic. Mm-hmm. To, what does it mean to, for me to have confidence in, in the church? Why does belonging matter? And I think a lot of our problems within our understanding of the church um, start not so much with the church, but our own failure to understand that we belong to God and that, that our, our belovedness in God's eyes is often um, something that we miss or maybe we don't have a true experience of. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful point. And I loved where you shared in the book about your own experience of God. You know, the times in, you know, certain times in your life where you found yourself just deeply moved and aware of God's presence and God's love in a unique way. And I think that's something that happens individually for everyone. And there, you know, there may be people listening right now that think, that's never actually happened for me, you know, like it's possible to grow up even a cradle Catholic and go to church every Sunday and then not fully have that personal experience of God. In what ways do you encourage people to explore finding that experience in their own lives? Well, um, the book has at the end of each chapter um, <laughs> different uh, things that I recommend. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's uh, an opportunity to pray and I and I make a recommendation on a different way to pray with this content at, in the chapter. And then there's um so, so there's so there's that conversational prayer piece that is always um uh, can be a point of connection where God's uh Holy Spirit can really reach deep into us. Mm-hmm. Prayer is conversation with, with God. And some of us are afraid of that conversation. Yeah. So I have these little, uh, little ways that you can begin to pray uh, in this book if, if you're kind of a prayer newbie. The other part of the, uh, the end of the chapter, I have moments where I call people to engage. And that means we're talking about certain different aspects of the church or the, the, the faith life. And it might be a way for you to go deeper to read something, you know, uh, maybe that the church has written, maybe on the church or on scripture or something else. Um, I'm giving you a way to kind of engage um, your, your mind with this to kind of help um, bring about a renewal of conscience in some way because you're reading, um, you know, good, solid uh, teaching. And then right. the third thing is, um, uh, after, uh, after we, you know, learn by doing that. So we pray and then we learn. And then the last part is engage. And usually I give people a couple of uh, exercises, a way to kind of engage this side of their faith, um, to take it, to kind of take it slow, to put a toe in the water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I'm confident that the Holy Spirit is the one who converts hearts. My job is not to convert people. My job is to, is to, is to bring a message as, um, clearly and as lovingly as I can. It's the Holy Spirit who converts us and helps us to change. So um, I'm confident, you know, uh, and that's the role of, a, you know, my life as a, as a catechist. Uh, I love to teach people about the faith, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to convert them. So those moments where we have a sense of God or we have a sense of the Spirit, and you know what? 
I, I tell people, especially when I give retreats, you know, sometimes people hear a speaker or they read a book and there's a little phrase or a little word that kind of goes off in their head. Ding, 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 ding. Did, I don't know if that's yes. ever happened to sure. you where you've been listening to something and your conscience kind of awakens and says, mm -hmm. huh, what is that? Those are the moments I tell people that, you know what, the Holy Spirit is probably trying to get you. Uh, get your attention. Mm -hmm. So listen to those little promptings and then bring that to a time of prayer. Maybe even write it down. Like some, something might come up in a conversation or uh, if I'm reading a book or even maybe hearing a homily at church. And, you know, something in me is kind of awakened by it and I haven't had a chance to really process it. Prayer is the place to process that. Mm -hmm. Listen to when you have those little moments of prompting. Um, and you may say, oh, that's just a coincidence. Or that's, no, no, God, God's Holy Spirit is trying to catch your attention, <laughs> girlfriend. So pay attention to those little moments. And if you have to, write them down. I'm at a certain age now in my life where I have to write a lot of things down. <laughs> I hear you. Yep, yep. Um, so that when I can have a little quiet moment with the Lord, um, I could ask about this. Why is this bothering me? Mm -hmm. Or, hey, this really spoke deep to me, you know, and, right. and ask the Lord. And you know what? He begins to reveal himself more and more. It's an ongoing conversation with God. That's beautiful. And I love that you, you share about writing it down because this is something I've been meaning to do. I have a friend who does like brings a little journal to mass and takes notes during the homily or during the readings. And I've had in mind to do that because you're so right that there are things that stand out to you, especially when you're hearing God's word that so many times, Pat, I'll, something I've heard a thousand times, all of a sudden one little line will stand out to me. And I think, I never noticed that before. I wonder what that means. I wonder why that word is used, you know, and mm -hmm. that's a real opportunity to write it down to for further exploration and you're so right that that's the holy spirit inviting you into a deeper relationship inviting you in to explore your relationship with god come to know him better and it might happen with something you know in a conversation with a friend or whatnot um you know but i think it's it's helpful to to actually write it down and bring those things to your prayer time that um that, that, that's the way you can really grow in your faith life i love that advice yeah, no, it's so true. Um, see, God really is everywhere all the time. <laughs> God is always on. We're yes. not always on. <laughs> We're true. not always paying attention. But, you know, in a word, God is always on. Right. And, you know, his his presence is all around us. And, and, that's, and that's part of it. And, you know, I can look back, at, you know, at my own life at certain different points in my life, you know, that I share in the book, you know, where I really heard, you know, God, you know, zing, you know, mm -hmm. lights going off, you know, and it was like, oh, wow, this is, I could not have thought this up on my own because, right. you know, this is just not my own imagination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what? let me just say that, you know, there is the, the presence of, you know, the good, good God who we're devoted to. But there is also the presence of the evil one. Mm -hmm. And the old the old boy doesn't want you to know this God. Mm -hmm. So he's going to give you all of these distractions and he's going to make you doubt yourself. Oh, did God really say that? Uh-huh. <laughs> That wasn't really God. That's just your imagination. That's nothing. Right. You know what I mean? So right. you have to, you know, as you grow in, in faith, um, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to guide you so that you can hear what, what God is saying. We call it, we have a fancy word, we Catholics, we call it discernment. Mm -hmm. We discern, you know, what God is saying over the course of time. Right. And I love that you, you're you not afraid to talk about the evil one and the voice that he sometimes is in our hearts and in our minds. Because, you know, I think there's, there's, you give, you give him 
all the more power if you deny that he's behind some of those voices sometimes, he, that he's behind some of those thoughts, some of those doubts in our own hearts and minds. Um, and I, I always encourage people, and, and I think your work does the same, to listen to what your what your self-talk is, what, what voices you're listening to in your head, and figure out who's saying that. Who's telling me that? Is that of God? Is that coming from God? Or is that coming from somebody who desperately wants to interrupt my relationship with God, who desperately wants to come between me and God's love? That, you know, if you think about it in terms of that, you can much more clearly, that fancy word, discern the ways in which God is calling you to grow closer to him, calling you to grow um, grow in your holiness, grow in your vocation, and then root out those things that are trying to trip you up, those lies that sometimes we're telling our own selves in our own heads because they've become a habit. Yeah, you're, you're so right on, Danielle. And, um, you know, let's just take what we just talked about and apply it now to our opinions of the church. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we've heard opinions about the church that are false, and we have to reject them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, belonging to the church, you know, we want to develop kind of a discernment in terms of what is the truth, goodness, and beauty about the church and about her teachings. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's a real call to growth for us as as Christians to want to, to do um to do the right thing to 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 grow in grace mm-hmm. you know um i i talk a lot about the book um about this one line you know when when jesus talks um about marriage he um after he gives the teaching on marriage he gives you this line that says what god has joined together we must not separate right you know and you know what I, I that totally applies you know in this teaching on marriage but i think it, there's a much broader context in which that particular teaching is important for us to understand mm-hmm. you know what god has joined together we must not separate you know god has joined himself to his word, you know, the living word that is scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we just look at the Bible as just like some any old book or, or you know, just another you know piece of literature, sure. we've separated the truth that God has joined himself to that word. Um, when we look at the sacraments as just some kind of empty ritual, when God himself has joined himself to the church and poured out his own blood, uh, you know, on the cross, you know, mm-hmm. to bring us the graces of redemption and salvation and everything that he is, he pours into the church. When we separate in our minds um, that the the sacraments mean nothing, mm-hmm. um we are doing a disservice to that very teaching because what God has joined together, we must not separate. And the reason he brought those things together is for our good. Oh, I love that. I love that. I've never thought about that phrase as applying outside of the, his teaching on marriage there, but it, it fits so beautifully. And I love that you bring up the sacraments because, of course, on the cover of your book, we have the Eucharist. Um, right. And I know that this is a sticking point for some people, but in my mind, it really is a way in which the church is different, significantly different from other faiths. And it's it's a reason to stay and it's a reason to seek it out. You know, I have um, a a friend who struggles. He struggles a lot with a lot of the teachings of the Catholic Church. And he's even shared with me, I want to leave it. 
I don't want to be Catholic. And yet he says he can't. And it's because of the Eucharist, because he can't find the Eucharist anywhere but in the heart of the Catholic Church. So he's left with no choice but to reconcile those other things, work through those other painful things, work through his own understanding and acceptance of uh, other truths of the church, but he's not willing to give that up. Can you speak a little bit to the the power and the importance of the Eucharist in, in people's ongoing conversions? Wow. You know, that is a priceless story that you just gave about your friend and, and how blessed he is to know that the Eucharist is the body and blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I love, uh, after the teaching on what we call the Eucharist, we call it the bread of life discourse. When Jesus was talking about, um, I am the bread of life and, uh, you know, he who eats my flesh will never die. Do you remember this? This is from John chapter six. If you ever want to read uh, a teaching on what the Eucharist is all about, please friends open the gospel to John chapter six and read what the church affectionately names the bread of life discourse because Jesus is talking really very Eucharistically there, and Catholics will recognize this. And it's very powerful, but there's this very little, uh, there's a few lines in Scripture that after Jesus gives this big talk, you know, how I am the bread of life, and again, Mm -hmm. that's the Eucharist, the bread of the Eucharist that he is kind of foreshadowing as he's talking about this. There's this little line about people who leave him after this. Mm -hmm. That You know, that this was a very hard teaching, and there were some people who went away. There were some people who thought, you know, thought about it, and they were like, I I can't buy this, Mm -hmm. and they went away. And I think it's very, uh, it's painful to see that, that, um, you know, when people, you know, leave the church or leave the community, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, But Jesus doesn't um, double back and say, oh, hey, wait a minute, I was just kidding. No, no. Oh, it's just like, you know, it's like a metaphor. It's an analogy. <laughs> uh, Jesus doesn't do that. You know, right. what Jesus says is the truth. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who uh, ha- may have problems with the idea that there is absolute truth, mm-hmm. you know. But for us who are believers in God, uh, you know, we know that the truth comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. So, so, so we give our ardent devotion to, to Jesus and that the words that he says are true. And the, the Eucharist also is talked about in the Last Supper when, you know, Jesus is, you know, famously talking to his disciples um, and he knows he's going to die the next day. Mm-hmm. He says, this is my body given up for you. Um, and then this becomes uh, the uh, the p- the point of which the the b- believing community, the early church, uh, reenacts this Eucharist, at, you know, at all their gatherings, because mm-hmm. this is like the central place where Jesus is made present. Right. So, is this a hard teaching for people who are maybe outside the church? Or uh, yes, it 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 is, and we know that it has been a source of division because we just see it right in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. But us who have come to know Jesus, we know that this is his true presence. And this is the point where we receive him most intimately while we're here on this earth. And it's not we should take for granted at all. No, no. And I mean, just beautifully spoken, Pat. And such important truth there that it, it's 
it can be easy to kind of take the Eucharist for granted and not not fully think about it when we're receiving. You know, it becomes a habit and all of a sudden you find yourself like thinking about what you're going to make for dinner that night or whatever. And, sure. you know, to, to not fully recognize the, the gift of Jesus's presence there. But um, I, I think it, it's really, it's helpful for us to keep in mind, like what a privilege it is. I remember someone once, I, I wish I could credit this person, but I don't know who it was that um, said, this is a privilege that wasn't even granted to the angels because, you know, they're not bodily beings to be able to receive Jesus physically, bodily into ourselves. What, mm. what a, deeply beautiful and meaningful gift that is you know that sure. all these all these ways and these sacrifices that sometimes we think Jesus or God is asking of us and can weigh on us and oh I don't want to quite give that much but you know what he went first you know like look at him on the cross look at him in the Eucharist he's pouring it all out in such a beautiful example for us such a you know a soul feeding kind of grace that you get inside of those sacraments yeah and and such a humble little way that mm-hmm. the Lord would do something for us this way. This is the God of the universe, people. This is the <laughs> omnipotent, omnipresent, almighty God lowering himself, humbling himself to, to make himself present in a piece of bread so that we might be able to come up close to be with him. It's, it's amazing. Absolutely beautiful. Speaking of the power of the Eucharist, um, what about people who, now this is funny because, you know, when we were talking about that, I, I was reminded, and I think it was of um, a Jeff Caven's talk where um, he talks about that idea of I'm not being fed. You know, that's a common thing that people say when they're either leaving the Catholic Church or t- expressing their disenchantment with the Catholic Church. And generally, I think that what they're referring to is an idea of community. You know, mm. um, and I remember Jeff Cavins in that talk and he does it masterfully. Look it up. I think it's in Lighthouse Media. If you haven't heard him talk on this subject, you know, says, how on earth can you say you're not being fed when Jesus is feeding us right inside of the Catholic Church? And yet I think it is it, maybe not the best way to phrase it <laughs> in light mm-hmm. of the Eucharist, but I think it's a valid experience. I think it's a valid thing for people to express is that longing for community, which is not always present inside of our church. Yeah, yeah, and it's really true. I mean, God knows uh, that He designed us to be in relationship, not only with Himself, because you know we're we're talking about having this relationship with God and with, especially with Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, as our true Savior and and as the lover of our soul and as the great beloved in our lives. But we're also made for um, communion with other people, and and that's one of the things that I talk about, uh, you know, in the book, All In, because um, we are we are called to this deep communion, uh, one with another, and sometimes uh, we we have a hard time finding that on the local level. Um, I, I think it's really important to to realize that no matter what you might be feeling <laughs> toward your church. If if the if the sacraments are are being validly celebrated there, right. Jesus really is there, and um, you know you might want to bring that those feelings um, to Jesus to ask him first if you should go or if you should stay. And when I mean if you should go, I mean I mean are, should you be looking for another parish, right? A, a, another Catholic church, but really not before you ask him. What should I do about these feelings, Lord? Because to be honest, sometimes that exact longing that you have in your own life is is hiding the calling that he's calling to you to be his hands and feet 
in that church. Right. Um, I don't want to deny um, the negative feelings that people might have toward a particular church, um, but I, I don't think people should church shop lightly, if, mm-hmm. if I could say that. You know, I think you should really bring that to the Lord, and if you're the head of a family, you should discern that with your spouse and the other members of your family. I don't think any, I don't think we should do that lightly because again, what little communion might be there because Jesus is present in mm-hmm. communion. Um, we should not take it for, for granted at all. And we should also wonder about what our leave taking might do to others. Right. So I think it's something we have to deeply pray about and discern before we do that. Um, sometimes th- God does call us to new experiences. I'm not going to say that he doesn't. Right. Um, but I think it's something that we should move with, um, you know, with a, a degree of caution and careful discernment. You know, the Lord is in charge and uh, we should try to listen to his leading for our lives. Right. There should be good reasons. Um, I can give you one little story about um, one of my siblings in my family who, um, you know, had children in her family that that had certain needs that were not being met at the particular parish that they were they were in so mm-hmm. they moved to another parish for the sake of the 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 children in in her family um you know it took, it was very hard to do that it, it was not done lightly or flippantly right um but you know it after a time of prayer and discernment her she and her husband had to make that that decision mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and um so yeah for sure people can and do make those kinds of decisions but i like what you're saying that perhaps there's a calling inside of that that lack that you're feeling you know that maybe we're actually called to not so much go around looking for everyone else to feed us but to be fed through our feeding of others that um you know i remember once a parish priest who was rolling his eyes a bit at us about all the complaining and grumbling he was hearing about why isn't the church doing more of this why isn't the church helping here why isn't the church and he's he you know gave us a little reprimand as a congregation and said you are the church (laughs) you know we are the church yes and it's it was such a good reminder for me because we do fall into that habit like why isn't the church doing more for me why isn't it you know when we we need to fully recognize we are the church and sometimes that longing that we're feeling is only going to be fulfilled in stepping up and being, you know, the hands and the feet of Jesus inside of our own communities, building that community, you know, one right. one little step, one little decision at a time. Um, yes, yes. And I think the art of friendship is important here. We as Catholics really understand what true friendship is mm-hmm. and and how to how to build one another up. I mean, it's all over. I mean, just read through the Gospels in terms of what our call to love one another is. Right. And sometimes we're called to love one another um, even though we may not have the, the warm feelings about it, we love and we serve because it's it's the right thing to do in that moment. And it that and maybe just in that step of giving of myself, even when I don't quite feel like it, you know, there's there's grace behind that. God will give you the strength to do it. Right. Oh, beautifully put. And it reminds us of our call to whatever our vocation is, but um certainly one that we talk about a lot inside of marriage that you know what? Act. Act first and the feelings will follow. You know, it's a decision. It's a choice. Sometimes you're not always feeling it. Sometimes you're feeling just the opposite of it. And yet we're still called to that commitment, called to that commitment inside of our vocations, but then also inside of the church. Beautiful. Yeah, you know, and you're hitting on something that's so important for marriage, you know, that's the power of the vow, you know, we've mm-hmm. taken, you know, we've taken these vows, we've made this oath, you know, uh, especially those of you who are, you know, in a sacramental marriage, you know, mm-hmm. it is for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, uh, good times and in bad times. Well, let me tell you, our relationship with the church 
is very much like Jesus's relationship with the church, which is a marriage. He is the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, our own experience of church can very much be like that. Sometimes it's going to be for richer, sometimes for poorer. Right. Sometimes there's going to be good times. Sometimes there's <laughs> going to be bad times. You know, um, sometimes we're going to deal with the sickness of the church and other times we're going to deal with the health of the church. Um, All of this is how Christ's own life grows in us through um, this this wedded communion that we have with him. Beautiful. Love it. Oh, all right, Pat. Well, we're running out of time here, so I just want to give you an opportunity. This has been so rich. I love I loved our conversation here, and I know listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Um, but is there like one last note that you'd like to end on, one last you know um, message that you'd like to give people about your book, All In, Why Belonging to the Catholic Church Matters? Um, I would just say that uh, I love the church because I love Jesus. I love Jesus and I want to love what Jesus loves and Jesus loves the church. So if Jesus loves the church, I want to love the church too because I want to I want to be like Jesus and I want to do the things he he calls me to. Amen. Thank you so much Pat. Thank you for sharing today and thank you for all the good work you're doing. I've really enjoyed talking with you. Same here. Thank you Danielle. So great conversation with Pat, as always. I really appreciate her taking the time to share with us here at Girlfriends about her new book, All In. We all need to be all in. We all need to work on the ways in which we are not all in. So check out all the links to all of Pat's awesomeness online at daniellebean.com in the show notes. So check that out. All right, now I'm just going to move on quickly here before we wrap up this week. I want to share some feedback I got a lot of feedback from people about the NFP episode last week. I knew this was a topic that people wanted to talk about, and I am so proud and pleased to say that all of the feedback was positive. I don't mean everybody says I'm awesome, but I mean nobody was attacking me for what I dared to be honest about with the shortcomings of what I see in NFP in in our Catholic communities and the way that we talk and share about it. I think people are very welcoming of that message because it's something that is a pretty common struggle, I'm finding out. So I got a lot of emails, a lot of which people would like for me to keep private. So of course, I will respect that. Um, But I got some voice messages too. um, And I just want to, I want to share some other people's feedback because I think some of their insights are very helpful. Hey, Danielle. It's David Novachewski. Um, how are you? <laughs> Haven't checked in in a while. Great podcast, um, as usual. Uh, just talking about the NFP one. Um, some thoughts. It was really well done, and I guess I never saw your article, uh, though I liked it a lot. Um, sorry that I didn't at the time. Uh, I, I think my experience uh, has been very similar to yours. Um, I, I think NFP has a has the ability to be something that's very uh, good, but I don't think anyone does any service to anyone who's willing to embrace it um, if they downplay the difficulties in it. And I think as a society, certainly, but even as a church, um, the ability to sacrifice and um, do penance has been lost by and large. If you look at, uh, Lent, really, it's no no meat on Fridays uh, and two measly days of fasting. Now, certainly you can do more than that, 
Um, and everyone should uh, obviously do what they feel called by God to do in that regard. Um, but that whole notion that that's a normal part of life and that foregoing things that are good um, is a normal thing uh, is by and large, I believe, lost um, on our generation for sure. And so I think you're absolutely right. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not an NFP that's the struggle. It's um, my struggles with God uh, in that he made the rules regarding uh, sexuality and they are challenging to live. Um, but, but I think once I came to that realization that my beef is with him um, and really started to pray a lot about it and really started to ask, are my expectations of, of what I want from um, my marriage in this vein realistic? Are they in line with what his desires are for me? Uh, I came a long way to um, seeing this as a response to the love of God in my life and a response to um, all of the blessings that he's given me and, and how best can I return those blessings to him. And, um, you know, but there's no getting around it. It, it involves, um, it may involve abstinence and it may involve abstinence for a long period of time for people. And that is just, um, no pun intended, where the rubber hits the road and you have to get comfortable with that. Uh, so I thank you for talking about that. Uh, hopefully you won't get lit up on social media uh, for uh, daring to speak critically of or, or speak openly of the challenges uh, in that regard. But again, thanks uh, for the podcast. Uh, love it to death and uh, keep up the good work. Uh, hang in there. Spring's coming. Bye-bye. Thank you, David. I love that we have an unabashed fan of girlfriends who is male. I think it's super. And if there are any other um, guys out there listening in the closet to girlfriends, speak out. David set a good example for you. Anyway, I really appreciate your feedback. I think um, you really, you really are right that it ultimately does come back to that relationship with God, to what your understanding is of your relationship with God and what it's meant to be, our response to his love and our response to his blessings, that um, the struggles that we sometimes have inside of whatever it is, whether it's a sacrifice being required of you because of NFP, or it's a sacrifice being required of you because of your work or because of illness or because of uh, financial responsibilities, whatever it is that we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like these things being imposed upon us. We like to act on our own will and our own desires and have immediate gratification of everything that we ever want. And yet this is part of what our church teaches is that growth comes through that sacrifice in whatever way, shape or form that it takes. And I think it's really a beautiful thing over the long term to understand our relationship to God inside of our marriage, to invite him inside of our marriages, invite him inside of our intimate lives in that way. Because, you know, our culture, of course, is telling us something very different, that you own it and you have a right to this. And immediate gratification is every human being's absolute right, especially when it comes to sex. And our church teaches something different. Our church teaches something that ultimately is designed for our long-term happiness, our long-term peace and satisfaction, our long-term fulfillment inside of our relationship with our Creator. So we're called to something higher, we're called to something bigger, and it doesn't always feel good in the process. Hi, Danielle. This is Andrea, and I just listened to your 
um, NFP um, talk, and I absolutely loved it. And I just wanted to say that um, you made very good points. Um, and there's definitely across the board where it's either it's great for your marriage, it's the best thing since sliced bread, or, you know, it's the worst thing you could ever do, don't do anything. And um, I personally uh, deal with infertility, and actually NFP has helped us achieve pregnancy um, each and every time. Um, and without NFP, um, I wouldn't have the beautiful blessings that I have. Um, so, and so for the, the people that say, oh, you can never use NFP except for grave reasons, well, you can actually use NFP in order to achieve pregnancy, um, especially for those who have infertility. Um, and so it has been a beautiful blessing in our marriage. Um, it's been very hard at times, but um, anyway, I just wanted to say it was a great, great um, um talk this week and I always look forward to uh, listening to it later. Bye. Thank you so much, Andrea, for your unique perspective, for sharing that really important point about the different ways in which we can use NFP. I am so happy for you and so grateful that God has blessed you with children inside of your marriage and inside of your struggle with infertility through the gift of NFP. And that's a really important reminder to us. Um, I think sometimes when we get together as uh, girlfriends and we we talk about NFP or we talk about struggles inside of our marriage, we talk about, um, you know, especially our, our struggles with abstinence and, um, you know, we, we sometimes give NFP a bad rap in a way that's unfair, especially to those who do struggle with infertility, because it's easy to take fertility, the gift, the great gift that it is for granted. And I know nothing could be more painful than to be struggling with a gift that you so desperately want to have and seeing others take it for granted and even, you know, be talk disdainfully about it or um, reject it in some way. So I think that's such a beautiful and helpful reminder, Andrea, that NFP can be used both ways and with great results. And I'm so pleased that God has blessed you with children in your marriage and that NFP has been that gift for you. And I think, you know, keep telling people about that. Keep being that voice because our world needs to hear that. Our world needs to hear, you know, even inside of our churches, we need to hear and be reminded that our fertility is a gift and not to be taken for granted. And the the wonderful tool and resource that NFP can be for couples who struggle with infertility. Well, that's all the feedback I'm going to share for now. But like I said, I did hear from a lot of you and overwhelmingly people were happy to have an opportunity to share honestly about some of the challenges of NFP. So there's a real need for this conversation to happen. And I want to encourage you to have it. You don't have to just have it in podcasts. Have it in your real life. Have it in your marriage. Have it with your good girlfriend. You know, um, I think it's important for us to be honest about some of the challenges that we experience. And those of us who have had some experience in this are are called to be mentors to people that are, you know, newly married in the church, newly beginning to discover what some of these challenges are. And there's nothing but benefit to be gained from us being open and honest with one another, not focusing on the negative 
positive and not taking our gifts for granted, not, you know, not speaking disdainfully about people who are doing good things within the church, but just open, being open and honest about what the challenge is. And it's regardless of your state in life, regardless of your feelings about NFP or your fertility or not or whatever, we're all called to a life of self-giving love, a life of sacrifice. We're all called to deny ourselves sometimes our deepest desires in various aspects of our life. It's part of every person's calling. So being honest about what the challenges are involved there is a really important part of us encouraging and supporting one another inside of our church. Okay, well, before we wrap up, I want to thank our newest Patreon supporter of the Girlfriends podcast. And I don't know if I'm going to say your name right, but it's Chia, C-H-I-J-A. Correct me if I'm wrong. I want to say your name correctly, but thank you so much for pledging your support for Girlfriends. If you would like to support this podcast and encourage me in its production and help to make it possible, help to make it a weekly production that's available for free for everyone, you can pledge your support at patreon.com forward slash girlfriends. And everyone who pledges, no matter what the amount, even if it's just a dollar per episode, a minimal pledge, um, will qualify for the benefit of a monthly get together online where we can video chat or you know if you're shy you don't have to share your video but it's a way for us to really kind of connect outside of the podcast in a way that's really back and forth more interactive and um, more personal and only people who support the podcast through patreon get that special invitation once a month to girlfriends live so if you want to be a part of that or if you just want to encourage me in the production of this podcast if you appreciate what I do here and want to encourage me to continue doing this work you can do that at patreon.com forward slash girlfriends. Thank you so much for your encouragement and for your support of the podcast. And finally, I want to um, give a shout out to Illinois. I'm going to be in Illinois this coming weekend, um, giving the You're Worth It retreat to beautiful women there. And so if you want information about where that's going to be, I'm going to put the, the link in the show notes. So if you're in that area in Illinois, you can participate. You can come. You can register. I would love to meet you. I'd love to hug you in person. And um, the retreat, really, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, you can go to daniellebean.com forward slash retreat. It's a day retreat for women, teaching them all about Jesus's unique love for them uniquely, individually, personally, using stories from the women of the Bible. It's based on my book, You're Worth It. So the themes of the day are based around that. And really, it's just a beautiful day, a beautiful way for Catholic women to come together and connect and be affirmed and encouraged in our identity as daughters of God, to encourage one another, to just support one another. And it's really just a beautiful, lovely day and a lovely way to do that. If you're interested in finding out more about the You're Worth It retreat, you can go to daniellebean.com forward slash retreat and find out how you can go about bringing this unique event to your community. I'm currently booking events um, through the summer. I've got a few openings left and um, into the fall and beyond. So if you're planning an event or if you've got an idea um, that you want to bring to your pastor or to your diocese to bring this event to a community near you, check it out at daniellebean.com forward slash retreat. I would love to be able to help you bring this kind of support to the women of your parish or your women's group or your diocese. 
So thank you for being here again. We've come to the end of our hour here. Thanks for showing up for another episode of Girlfriends. It always makes me so happy to know that we're able to connect this week, this way, week after week. Give me your feedback. Uh, let me know what you think about today's topics. Let me know. Keep that NFP feedback coming. It's something that's really important for us to be open and honest and sharing about. But let me know what you thought about my conversation with Pat Gone today and check out her book for sure. So you can email me at danielle at daniellebean.com. Connect with me on Vox or go to daniellebean.com in the show notes and there's an easy little tab you can click to leave a voicemail. Super easy to do from your computer or from your phone. You don't need any special equipment to connect in that way and give me your feedback and we can hear your voice on a future episode of Girlfriends. Thank you so much for being here. I really value your presence. It's so affirming and encouraging for me to know that you're showing up week after week, putting those earbuds in your ear and bringing me along for your walk or for your chores or for your workout. I just love connecting in this way with you. It means so much. And so until next time, I hope you enjoy your day and God bless your week. Girlfriends is a DanielleBean.com production. Know your worth, find your joy.